now you see guys doing with uh, a lot of balance stuff, a lot of mechanic stuff uh, for his uh, strengthening of the body. You know, without getting bigger, like for a pitcher, you always want to strengthen like small muscles. So he had me doing a lot of stuff with, with these tubings, like putting the fence and stretching the arm out. I did a lot of stuff uh, for his balance. As you guys might remember, um, I had the big leg kick when I was pitching. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of that came from, he had this big 2 by 4 board, and he'll put a brick underneath it. And I was standing, it was almost like a karate kid. You stand on the board, you have to balance yourself. You know, you balance yourself. You got to hold it. So we did about two weeks isolated before I got to the mound to throw the ball. And as a 10-year-old kid, when you go to the field with your dad, the first thing you're thinking, you want to throw the ball. And you want to hit the ball. But as I got older, I understood what he was doing, you know, teaching me the mechanics and uh, the things you got to do to be a uh, successful pitcher, not only in the majors, but at that time, just for like the little league level, in the high school, minors, and the majors. So uh, that's how I pretty much got started, and once I made it to the majors, my dad, like, he was a big, big fan, so I got this big salad dish. Some of you guys, well, you guys are old enough, remember, like, a big salad dish you put in your backyard and get the games. There wasn't as many MLB, you know, networks as they have now. And so after every game, when the game was over, before I would talk to the media, I would call my dad, and we'd discuss the game, and even if it was a shutout, we'd find something that I can work on between starts, which is great to keep me, you know, humble. And so, you know, we did that for a while, as a, even to, uh, you know, to he passed away in 1997, but always calling him after the games, and that was the way I got in. Um, and then, you know, in 86, that's when everything started coming down with downfalls, you know, with the, uh, with the drugs and alcohol, but I got involved with that. I um, started drinking at a very young age. When I was 12, I think I took my first drink. Unfortunately, I liked the taste of it at that time, even though it didn't become a problem until later on. Uh, the first time I experienced uh, cocaine was uh, 1985 after the, after the season. Um, and unfortunately, I fell in love with it again, not knowing that it was going to become a problem and I was going to get addicted. Uh, the offseason 1986 is when it really started taking control of my life. Um, the drug became so powerful while my life was unmanageable. Um, the drug is that powerful. Um, so hopefully with the book, uh, not only was it great therapy for myself, but hopefully if anybody here may be going through something, in a family member, a friend, co-worker, or what have you, hopefully I can help them. So um, I just felt with myself the time was right to do this book. You know, I'm in a place now where I have peace within myself. I'm okay being an addict. I'm not an active addict. And for me to stay well, it's about sharing, the, you know, carrying the message and helping others that may be going through some of the situations. And I have to do it on a daily basis. So at, at this time, you know, I'll open the floor for any questions you may have for this life, recovery, baseball, whatever just feel free to throw it. Just, uh, we're going to come around with, with this for the questions. So just raise your hand. And the only thing I would like to say to those listening to the podcast, wherever you may be, you got to hear part of this. You missed a little bit in the beginning, but that's what you get for not being here. Uh, but this is uh, live from the Brigino Baseball Clubhouse at 67 East 11th Street in the landmark Cast Iron Building, Greenwich Village, City of New York. It is a very special day today in many ways, uh, being one being Father's Day. And, um, and a nod to tradition and an honor to tradition, which is what, really what the clubhouse is all about, is a love letter to baseball. Uh, we're going to start as we always do. So to those of you who are in the clubhouse for the first time, welcome. To those who have been here before, welcome home. And... We would like, as a group, please help me as we do welcome Dwight Gooden on Father's Day to the clubhouse. And and 
Calm down, Perry. Uh, we're going to get to all your questions, all of you guys and gals in here uh, as part of the VIP group. You're going to get a copy of the book, Doc, a memoir, as well as another autographed item. We're going to get to all of that. We also have some uh, little beer, water, uh, Cracker Jack. Enjoy yourselves. We're going to get to the questions. Before we do, though, I would like to just say something very quickly. Um, the book was supposed to be here earlier this week. It, due to a computer glitch, supposedly, it got here very late Friday. And before we have our guests, I always like to read the book. I'm not the fastest reader, and I got here late Friday. So I started to read it yesterday when I was open, and when I came in in the morning. And I'm sitting back at my desk, and nobody's coming into the clubhouse yet, and I started to cry. And um, I figured I better put this away because it's probably not the best thing. Somebody walks through the door, and there's the owner in the back crying, you know. Uh, so... I put it aside, and then it, there was a lull during the day, and I said, you know what? Well, let me back up for a second. I, went to, I was going to go to the index and look up Dad, figuring it's Father's Day. And everybody here who, who's of a certain age knows, and this is a very unique thing, and I tried to think back on what other ball player was like this, and I could not come up with one, to be honest. Everybody knew about the closeness of your relationship with your dad. All, all Met fans knew about your dad, and it was, it's a very special thing. And I think uh, what brings us all here today to the clubhouse and just to, to the love of baseball is our dad. Everybody got it from their dad in one way or another, uh, or many people, this love. And so I couldn't find the index. There's no index. I read the chapter called Some Dad, which is when I started to cry. And then I figured I'd go back to the beginning and you open the book with chapter one talking about your dad. As a, You're a four-year-old, I think. And maybe if you could just, before we get to the questions, since it is Father's Day, if you could just talk a little bit about your dad, uh, how he gave you this love of, of baseball. Uh, before you even got into the training, just how it kind of, that's where you get it from. And that's where I get it from. That's where everybody gets it from, is from their dad. So... If you wouldn't mind, maybe just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, basically for me, like, like I mentioned earlier, my dad grew up in Georgia. He loved baseball. And his dad, which is my granddad, I never got to meet. He passed away before I was born. He was supposedly a great pitcher. So I guess that's where the genes came from, from him. So um, my dad and the family moved to Tampa. His job moved to Tampa. And at that time, I had three older brothers, two older sisters. I'm the youngest by 13 years. So basically me and Gary we grew up as brothers. I'm four years older. I just look younger. So anyway, when my dad was, uh, he loved baseball, and as any kid, you know, my dad couldn't dock the door without me grabbing his leg or wanting to follow him wherever he went. He coached the semi-pro team in Tampa, as well as softball. So as you guys know, the weather in Florida, you could play <laughs> baseball year-round, practically. And so that's what he did. So um, as I started getting older, you know, watching games on TV with him, like then, we got the game of the week on Saturdays. Some of you guys might remember uh, Joe Gadgetola. And so we'll, we'll watch that game, and then we'll have a game on the radio. When I got about, I think when I was seven, it was the first time I played uh, organized baseball. And I think when I got about ten, my dad would say, um, how much, he asked me, how much do I like baseball? I said, I love it. He said, how much? I said, well, hopefully one day I get to play on TV with those guys. So obviously my mom walked through the house, she's kind of like, yeah, you know, no big deal. But my dad would say, well, okay, well, we have to start putting in the work. 
So basically, it started off being his dream. You know, he was living the dream through me. Like I said, going through the drills, teaching me about pitching. And as we were watching games on Saturdays, he would basically quiz me and play games with me. Like, uh, he would say, I don't know how you knew I was going to be a pitcher. But he asked me, what would you throw here? Why would you throw here? What would you do in this situation? Why would you do this? I mean, just constant quizzing me. At that time, I didn't understand it. But as I got older, I started realizing what he was doing. And that's where a lot of my knowledge came from once I got to the, or got drafted into the majors. So basically, it was, it was always his dream. And then as I got older, I would say about, probably about 14, it became my dream to play major league baseball. Uh, he was always very supportive, not only in sports, but my school activities as well. He was always there for my needs. And I remember even, but even though to him, Making me a baseball player was the most important thing because I remember in high school, my mom used to bring applications home for me to get jobs, and right away I just handed it to my dad and say, I don't have time to work. I got practice. <laughs> and so he would go in there and take care of her. So obviously, you can I was a small kid. But uh, all this shit was great. And unfortunately, when he passed away in 97, just the, the, uh, the drive and the dedication I had for the game, it wasn't the same. I always loved the game, still loved the game, but I just lost a little bit there when he left. It was like a piece of me leaving. Who would like to, uh, actually, uh, before somebody, I'm going to go to somebody in the audience to start our questions, who came in, this guy came from, I'm sorry, your first name again? Ross. Ross. Ross is from, you may remember this in, somewhere in your early travels, Ross is from a, a minor league team, a minor league town, Reading, Pennsylvania. He drove from Reading, Pennsylvania, he got off of work at 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> He's a bartender took a little nap and drove straight through. So because of that, you get the first question. You get to lead this off. Hey, why not? Hey, uh, after your 24-win uh, season, uh, how much pressure do you think you had to uh, try and repeat uh, after that and try and, whether that be on yourself or coming from your peers or your superiors, uh, for you to try and uh, perform that well again? That's a great question. You know uh, after the 85 season, there was a lot of expectations. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, in 86, I remember winning the game against Fernando. I pitched a complete game shutout. You know, I, I think I won like 2 nothing. I had like four strikeouts. So the first question was, what happened? You only had four strikeouts. So unfortunately, the next game I would go out and try to get 10 strikeouts. I don't know if you guys remember the K-corner up on left field. So a lot of times after you strike a guy out, when I get the ball, I'm looking up there, I'm trying to count the Ks. <laughs> <laughs> trying to get the 10 strikeouts. You know, I want the shutout. I want the complete game. So the expectations from you know the media, the organization, and then it became my expectation. It was, kinda, it was a bit too much you know, pressure. So that's when the heavy drinking and the parties came into place after that. Jesus Torres. Um, anyway, my question, my wife went to the, the first game of the World Series, the game that you pitched. Well, you had a lot of pressure on you at, at that first game. Um, she was like, oh, man, I'm going to the World Series. She was pumped up and everything. And she said, wow, man, good was pitching. So she was really happy about that game. But was it a lot of pressure? Uh, <laughs> no. I'll tell you what, it was obviously the pressure because of the Royal Series, but I think it was a situation where um, just the course of the year, I think I had a total of 200 and, I don't know, maybe 60 innings. And then I, if you guys can recall in the playoffs, first game I pitched a complete game against Mike Scott. And this next game I went 10 innings against Nolan. So I think I just hit a wall where I just got tired. Yeah. Just fatigued. Yeah. Well. 
Yeah. Like we saw at the end, she got it, but it, it ended well, right? Yeah. 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 automatic when Gooden was pitching the stadium was completely sold out and he could have been like ahead of every hitter and the one hitter that he wasn't ahead of the stadium would be like quiet because he would think oh no because it was such a dream nobody was ever that good except receiver and it was so long before that that everybody wanted him it was a lot of expectation for him and he he couldn't he couldn't be as good as everybody wanted him to be nobody could that's but he was, human, the stadium know? was electric yeah. and it'll never be like that again. It hasn't been. No. No. It hasn't been. Uh, a question from uh, one of our regulars, Perry Barber. Thanks, Jay. Dwight, um, who scouted you and how young or how old were you when you understood that your destiny was as a major league player and um, I'm just curious at what point in your life you started to, you know, get a clear idea of uh, that you were actually going to be a major league baseball player. That's a good question. I, um, obviously, as a kid, you always dream of playing major league baseball. Like I say, uh, watching the games with my dad, playing little league. Um, I remember, I think I was 12 years old the first time the local paper did a story on me. At that time, at 12, it came out, uh, the Tampa Tribune did a story on me in the All-Stars. And uh, at that point, that's when... Obviously, you think you have something there, you know, individually, but not really knowing until I got to high school. My, um, my so son. You believe you were impressed when you were 12 years old? Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, yes. Well, actually, I remember. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, you did, but remember earlier when I was saying when I was 10, I told my parents I was going to be playing Major League Baseball. Well, all kids said that. And just fortunately, you know, I was in the right place at the right time, and plus, I put in a lot of work to do that. But, uh, at 12, I started believing that the price was right. But not, he didn't mention nothing about Major League Baseball at that time. But I just thought I had a gift and something special about it. Because at 12, I mean, I was hitting home runs. I was striking on everybody, just totally dominating. But not until I really got to high school. Because, like, from 13 to 15, I was just kind of, like, average. When I got to high school my sophomore year, <laughs> our school had, I mean, some of you guys might remember Mike Heath. Sure. Yeah. Mike Heath? Yeah. Yeah. went to the same high school. And I think he was drafted, I want to say, 1978. From 1978 to basically 1991, we had a number one pick come out of high school every year. So, so what I'm getting at is, um, back then it wasn't freshman; it was just tenth, eleventh, twelfth. So when I was in tenth grade, my high school had my high school coach had this thing where the sophomore year you don't play; you just that's your learning year. But like inter squad games, you got to play defense from both sides. And I thought that I should have been starting, if not pitching, but in a position. So he said, "No, you know, make sure you got time, whatever." So I quit the team my sophomore year. So I played at Lily Park, and then my junior when I came back out. I basically, he was treating me like a sophomore all over again. I was playing outfield, and I was like a relief pitcher. Halfway through my junior year, uh, we had a pitcher, Floyd Yeomans, who was drafted by the Mets in the second round behind me in 1982. He got kicked off the team for missing practice or whatever. So when he got kicked off the team, that opened a spot for me in the rotation. 
that year I ended up going 7-0, and uh, this tournament we had, I won MVP, and that's what really put me on the map, and that's when the scouts started coming around, and that's when I knew I had a chance of getting drafted at that point. Uh, so how did you get scouting and wind up with the Nets? Well, what happened was uh, my high school, like we had a number one pick every year, so the school had a reputation for having you know a lot of uh, players come out of that area. I mean, from that team in our area during that time in the '80s, baseball was big in Tampa, especially in the area where I grew up. So a lot of times when a guy gets drafted, and plus my my uh, high school coach was a scout with the Reds, so he would kind of pass the message, he fill out his reports on the games. And the scouts, like my junior, was coming out to see this guy Vance Lovelace, who got drafted number one by the uh, Dodgers. No, I'm sorry. No, no, uh, he went to, he was drafted one by the Cubs. He was drafted by the Cubs, and he was traded to Dodgers in the run state deal in 81. So the scouts would come and watch him my junior year. And if he came out of the game, I came in relief, and that's what got the attention. And so my senior, I was kind of on the map, and it was coming back out. But what's interesting, I never talked to a scout from the Mets. And I talked to every other team, and even the Cubs that year in 82, they drafted Sean Dunstan, the first pick. I talked to the Cubs, and they said, if we go get a guy out of high school, you are a guy, or we might get a guy out of college. I don't know if you guys remember Jeff Ledbetter at Florida State during that time. Um, but the Cubs went with Sean Dunstan. And so when the Mets drafted me, number five in the first round, I couldn't believe it. So I had this guy, Tom McEwen, who's no longer with us, call New York to see was it right. <laughs> and my high school coach told me if I got drafted, probably like the fifth or the tenth round. So, it was, it was, you know, it was, um, it was a happy day for myself as well as my dad and my family. So many years with the Mets, uh, you know, playing with the Mets. Um, do you feel as if the, your best memories, you know, are with the Mets? And now I know that you pitched the no hitter with the Yankees. Um, do you feel as if you you had a I guess a better time or you know what was your greatest highlight or you know with the '86 ring and you know what I'm saying <laughs> I know you got a couple of rings with the Yankees but we forget about that. You know no my, my most memorable times um, it's definitely with the Mets I always been Mets at heart number one um, so I had great times with the Mets you know being drafted by the Mets playing the minor leagues with the Mets with a lot of guys that I won the World Series with. So my fondest memories is definitely with the Mets. But if I had to pick one individual um, memory that meant the most to me would probably be the no-hitter with the Yankees, only because of what was at stake at that time when my dad being sick and going through his difficulty. Yeah. That's no, just a one night. That's just one night. It's only one night out of... 16 years, I gave it to the Yankees. I'm not going to mention 2000. <laughs> no, I told you, I'm a man at heart, always. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, 86 was a great year as a fan of the Mets. Um, that team was known for going out there and fighting other teams. How was, you know, how, how do you, how was that dugout, how was that team so united, you know, so unified? How was that clubhouse? Could you give me the aspect how it was to be on that team? Yeah, I think that we hear a lot of the sports about chemistry. Well, our team definitely, we, the definition of chemistry was the 86 Mets. I mean, we was a close-knit team with different personalities, and a lot of credit goes to the front office and Davey Johnson dealing with all the personalities and having everyone come in because we had a lot of talent. And even the guys that went starting could have been stars on other teams. But um, after we came so close in 84, <coughs> losing out to the Cubs, then 85, we missed out by three games with the Cardinals. We got the spring train in 86. I remember David Johnson, the first meeting. Normally, 
the, the general manager talk and the coach <coughs> talk, Davey just said, look, our goal this year is to win the World Series and totally dominate. Go out on the field and get ready. That was it. And so everybody knew we had the one goal. Left all the egos inside. We just had one common goal. And what was really unique about our team, when we were traveling the road, say if we went to Chicago out there, you know, to play them, everybody gets in the hotel, you check in, you call your wives or your girlfriends or what have you. And it, out of 25-man roster, at least 23 guys meet right downstairs in the lobby. We all go back out to eat together. And it's just a close team. And yeah. <laughs> 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 Going out to eat sounds a little bit better, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And they, he, exactly what he said. They all went upstairs, did whatever they had to do, and then they all came down and they were signing autographs for everybody in the lobby. They were, you guys were really good. I mean, they were. I mean, said there was some, like Keith, Keith kind of walked the other way, and a couple, of them. but Mazzilli kind of snuck out the back door. But but they were all Doc and Daryl, and they were all like they, no matter what, they would sign however many were there. Uh, yeah, we talked. We actually. Uh, what was weird, last weekend we played in this old Thomas game, the Dodgers and Yankees, so being at Dodgers Stadium wearing a Yankee uniform was a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> but it, yeah, but it was fun, we had a good time. But, uh, you know, me and Daryl, we talked, obviously, obviously we've had our differences. I think a lot of times what happened with me and him where um, we let rumors dictate our relationship instead of us calling each other and, and working it out. So, um, you know, for me, it's been like a love-hate relationship, but at the end of the day, he knows I care for him, he cares for me, and we do love each other. And before the next question, I, I just have one I'd like to throw in. Uh, Someone I've been thinking about a lot from that team, uh, and there's no more important relationship with the pitcher than his catcher. Yeah. And I think maybe because of Father's Day, I've been thinking about him a lot. And if, if you could just talk a little bit about Gary Carter. Gary Carter is uh, obviously a good friend. He was actually at my first wedding in 1987, and we hit it off right at the bat. The first time I actually met Gary, I spent time with him, was at the 84 all-star game my rookie year and we met as a team you know like photos and workouts and stuff and I got to throw to Gary I remember um, striking out the three guys that I faced and, and coming, off the, coming off the mound he said wouldn't this be nice to do every fifth day not knowing that that winner was going to trade for Gary so there's no coincidence that 1985 my first year with Gary was a career year he deserves a lot of credit for that as well because he communicated well the days I had you know my best stuff he wanted more the days that I didn't have my good stuff, he made me believe that I had good stuff to, until it came together. Um, he was a great guy off the field as well, which is more important. I mean, he led by example. I mean, he wasn't one of the guys, as you guys know, we had a partying team. He didn't really party. He didn't really point fingers or judge anyone. He always said, if you need me, I'm here, anything going on. And, and I, the thing I'll take with me most important from Gary was towards the end, you know, before he, he left us and passed away, was I had a conversation with him about three months before he passed, and he said, Doc, I'm going to battle this thing I'm, I'm against, you know, for as long as I can. So to show other people that if you're going through difficulties, you can fight for that. And he said, I want you to do the same thing with your struggles. Battle to the end so it can help others do that. And that's something I will carry with me always. My name is Miriam. Um, I have a question. My dad and I were at the Subway Series game at City Field, um, the first Subway Series game this year. And you know how you and Daryl Strobe recorded one of those rally things, you know, when the Mets are down, one of those Let's Go Mets videos? And they played it, and my dad said, how can they play it? They both played for the Yankees, too. So how can they play it against the Yankees when they're playing the Yankees? So my 
like that. I was like, isn't that in their contract not to play it then? This is very interesting. Do we have on a mess cap or anything? Yeah, you were wearing your mess. You were like, let's go mess rally. You know, oh, but we had the mess cap, right? Yeah, like, you know those rally ones? Yes. Um, yeah. They were playing that against the Yankees. No, but we both were mess. We'll always be mess. Yankee time was fun. I mean, we enjoyed that one. Yeah. Even against the Yankees. Even against the Yankees. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You to the All-Star game? Uh, yeah, I'll be at the All-Star game. I actually uh, participating in the Celebrity Softball game that Sunday. It should be fun. And then we'll be doing a lot of stuff at the stadium. Also at the Java Center. So we've got a lot of stuff going on. I'll still be doing stuff with Ms. Molly Pugentini, <laughs> with MAB. So it should be a fun, fun time, a fun week. You know, so I'm looking forward to it. Wait. <laughs> Go ahead. Hey, how you doing? Uh, actually, my dad was from Melbourne, Australia, and he didn't know anything about baseball. You know, he knew cricket, but my mom taught us how to how to play. And then when the Mets, when you guys started getting going, I was about eight years old, seven years old, and we were watching the games on TV. And my mom was teaching us, and she was teaching my dad too. And uh, he was your favorite player. I'm sorry. Little did you know. Sorry, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> and uh, he, he had a little baseball card collection just of you. And he was like, this guy, he recognized your talent, even not knowing the game. And um, the only baseball players I think he knew the names of were you and, uh, you know, obviously Daryl and some of the other Mets. But in terms of, you know, overall, it was you and Sandy Koufax, you know. And, uh, you know, that's kind of why I came here today, you know. Well, well, thanks for coming here. That's a great story to show me. Um, It means a lot. Especially if you put in a class with Sandy Koufax. I mean, he was one of the greatest. Yeah. And actually, I know, uh, I don't know if you heard of Mark Einhorn. He's from Australia. He played, I was on the Yankees with him, actually. Mm-hmm. And so he said, one of my greatest players, he made some good plays for him. So I was thinking, Mark might have been your father. Oh, no. No, <laughs> no. no, no. <laughs> but, no but please say, Dad, say hello. Oh, no. He actually uh, passed away uh, oh, in 1999. So oh, sorry to hear that's that. kind of why I came today to celebrate him. And, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, thank you. Sure, no problem. Yeah, I remember uh, he was actually in uh, the program as well. And I remember when there was a lot of talk, you know, we were kids. I said, why is there all this talk about, you know, drugs and stuff? I said, I didn't, you know. He said, you don't understand, you know, the kind of pressure these guys are under. And when looking back on that, to be like seven years old, I thought that was like very real, you know. And, uh... You know, I really, it's good to see you and shake your hand. I, I went to card show once and yeah. you, you you know, you didn't even acknowledge us. You were just signing the balls. Some of the <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's good to see you. Good to see you. That's my business now. I own an autograph memorabilia company, Sports Marketing. If I could have a guest at every single one of my shows, it would be Doc Gooden. Oh, yeah. Because he's wonderful to the fans. He truly cares. He truly wants to take time with you. And for any one season, he was the best that ever played. He was the best that ever pitched. So he may have it may, may have been because of the promoter telling him, don't look up. Yeah. I don't no, do that no, in my shows. No, no, somebody chewing your hair off. Was he real big? No, no, no further comments. No further comments. <laughs> well, if it happened, it wasn't intentional. Trust me. No, no. <laughs> you know, as a kid, you're like, oh, you know, just so we're just so excited to see you, and then you know, um, 
you know, it's not, it's not, not no, no uh, hard feelings in that. It's just great to be, it's great to be now, you know, and, you know, and I'm proud of you. Thank you. You know, really. Thank you. You know. Thank you. Uh, uh, just a quick question. Just uh, senior build. You could have probably played any sport when you were in high school or growing up. Was it 100 percent baseball, or did you play basketball and football and the other traditional sports? Well, baseball is always my true love and my passion. I played uh, football one year. Unfortunately, I broke my arm, left arm, and that was pretty much it. I was like real thin growing up as a kid, so I was afraid of contact, and because I always had a strong arm, like even like. Uh, like in, in uh, PE, they called it like in high school back then. The coaches see me throw a football, so I always wanted to come out and be the quarterback. But uh, I always wanted to go to the defensive side because I was afraid of contact. So I only played baseball, really. I played football when I was younger. And the police out to Leather League for two years, 11 and 12. But that was pretty much it. No basketball? No basketball. <laughs> Just backyard basketball. And Schooling those guys. Just pick up games and stuff like that. Actually, uh, I think like in the late 80s, early 90s, when the season will be over, we'll go home and all the way up to stay in the shape and condition. We'll have a little basketball league. And that's good fun, but not always nice. Hi, I'm, I'm surprised that you've gotten so few questions about recovery, which is one of the reasons you said you wrote the book. And I was thinking when you just told that story about Gary Carter and you said he wasn't a party guy on a party team. And then you just talked about the pressure it must be to be around all of this drugs and all of that. What do you say to, to people? Because obviously you're now talking to audiences that don't just want to hear about the bas- baseball, but want to hear about what's your message and how can you resist. And what do you say to people who feel that kind of pre- peer pressure, whether because they're in an environment where that's the culture? You know, what's your message that you hope other people um, can come away with? Well, I think a situation like that is I, I mentioned in the book. Um, you got to find out what's, what's pressuring you and what's most important to your life. Uh, because number one, when you're self-destructing your life, you're not only hurting yourself, you're hurting your family, you're hurting your, you know, your, your fans, everyone around you. But you got to find out what it is inside that's most important to you to keep yourself on a danger way and being honest with yourself and not being afraid to talk about those feelings that you have inside. Um, I was brought up that men don't cry, men don't hug, men don't say I love you. So I had to change all that with my kids to do that, um, especially with the boys. You have to do that. Um, so I think it's a situation of finding out what's most important with you you know, for yourself first, and then if you're right with yourself, then you can be better for your family and everyone else. Okay. Yeah, I was just going to say, 88. And so took a yard. I don't know. I don't like to bring it up either. I don't, I don't know. I know. the greatest of all time. You know that. But you guys could have mowed down the A's, you think? You think you could have been, you think you guys lost it, lost it because of that? I mean, because it seemed like that was the, the point where it just kind of, for the team, the rest of the team. It would have been that. nice to see him against Gonzaga. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what's amazing? That's a great question because, like, game seven of the 88 playoffs, <coughs> I could have started that game, but Dave, I remember Davey, and Dave was a great manager and a good friend of mine today, but he went, he went with Darlin. He said, I'm saving you for game one against Oakland. So I think we're looking at the forehead. And plus, if you guys remember, that season we beat Dodgers like nine out of ten times. Yeah. And unfortunately, Hershiser had the hot streak at the time. He was hot through the playoffs. And as you mentioned, um, I think the end of the home run associate changed the whole series. Uh, to his credit, he's a veteran, <coughs> veteran hitter. I fell behind. I walked to Shelby on four pitches, yeah. and then the first pitch associate hit the home run. If I throw that pitch probably nine more times, he probably pops it up. But I do believe the 
we could have got in there and played Oakland, that would have been a great series. That's the yeah. series everybody wanted. And unfortunately, Dodgers knocked us out, and Dodgers beat Oakland in the World Series. And after that season, that's when they really broke up our team. It was never the same. We're, yeah, we looked good on paper, but it just the chemistry we had before it just wasn't there. Bad mix. Yeah. And don't talk much about '87 too. '87. Oh yeah, '87. You Cardinals. Yeah. At yeah. the beginning of the year, you were in Oakland with Smithers, and yeah. I remember when Doc first first time he had the drug the issue with the drugs was I think April '87. You tested positive, right? Yeah. And um, I was at the game, his first game back. It was. It was crazy. It was like God walked out of the dugout, yeah. and just because everybody, we, we just wanted it so bad, and we knew he couldn't, we couldn't get there without him. So I remember that. You remember that yeah. when we walked out on the field, Bruce Feathers? It's the Pirates. Yep, mm-hmm. that's right. It was a hot day. Almost the first batter to strike him out. But the thing is, is like even the years I had, even doing doing my great years, you guys deserve a lot of credit too fans because I got so much energy from you guys what you brought to the stadium it was no better feeling like a Friday night pitching at Shea Stadium when I walked out there just with you guys sitting on your feet clapping with two strikes I mean yeah, <laughs> I have no idea the energy you guys gave me so I thank you guys for that and the K yeah. corner we, there would be K's up there and we didn't strike anybody out they would just do it so <laughs> 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 right yeah. right that's true we put some of the K's so okay. you, you guys if uh, some of those memories might be gone now that Shea Stadium is not around because now City Field, like well, how you feel about that? Now being called City Field. That's know. a different, uh, I love Shea Stadium because of all the history. And yeah. you know, the 69 Mets, the 73 team didn't win it, but it was there. And then obviously the age of 16. Uh, City Field, I love City Field, to be honest with you. I think it's nice. I just wish the team was playing better. Um, <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but the history, I just look at the history as, as a Met organization opposed to the Shea City Field. Um, hopefully get it back and hopefully start bringing more of um, the, 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 uh, the veteran players that played there, like the, some of the 69 Mets come around. And some of the 86 guys, I know Tim Toffel's there, I know Washington AAA. You got uh, Darlin and Keith in the booth, but getting more guys involved, even if it's just spring training, like the Yankees, for instance. Spring training down there with the Yankees, I mean, they got Yogi, they got Goose, they got Ron Gidry, they got all these guys. And I'm thinking they get these guys back around. How do you feel about the name, though? Like City Field? Oh, why, City Field name? Why, why not just call it Shea? Yeah. Well, it's just a new area now. It's all, a lot of stuff now is just corporations. And that's yeah. just a new thing now, unfortunately. Just, you know, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But from what I hear, though, we got some good players on the way and see what happens in the year or two. <laughs> Well, I think that's a good a good spot to end our podcast part of this. We'll then mingle. I have anyone who needs a book. Doc's already signed them. So before you leave, make sure you pick one up. They're all autographed already. And then everybody gets an individual photo. An individual photo. Molly, from here, this point on, Molly takes over. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Thank you, Doc. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Uh, yeah. thank you. Good talk to you guys. Good talk to you.